Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to Let It Out with me. I'm your host, Katie Delbau, and I'm recording this from New York. I'm here in Williamsburg where I'm staying for three weeks and then I move into my apartment officially here in New York. I can't believe it. I've been talking about this for so long and we talk about New York in this episode because this week I've had someone I've been wanting to have on the podcast for so long, Ashley C. Ford, and she is a amazing writer. She's a writing teacher. She's one of my favorite people, and you'll hear about this a little bit in the episode, but I've been wanting to have her on the podcast for years, and I've been emailing her, bugging her for years, and we finally made it happen, and I know I've been the girl who cried favorite podcast episode often, but I really, truly feel that way about this episode. We talk about enoughness and feeling like you're enough, finding that, finding contentment. We talk about relationships quite a bit. We talk about self-care and writing and creativity. And this conversation just went in so many vulnerable, beautiful directions. I love her so much and I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. And I want to get right to it. So first of all, thank you to our sponsors, Care Of. We talk about self-care, like I said, in this episode. And Care Of is great because they really help you with self-care. You can find a personalized regimen of supplements that can help you get all the nutritional things that you need. And what's really cool about Care Of is that you go to their website, which is really well designed, and you take a simple quiz that asks you questions about your lifestyle, your diet, the things that you eat, what you might be missing from your food, and other things like your energy levels, and it curates for you a perfect blend of supplements that you can take every single day, and then it sends you in the mail a really beautifully packaged, personalized, it even says your name, which we love, package of supplements, and you can take them and and feel amazing. I take them, I love them. If you want to use care of, make sure you use the discount code, which is Katie, K-A-T-I-E, that's my name, at checkout. So you go to takecareof.com, that's takecareof.com, and enter the code Katie at checkout. That gets you 50% off your order, and it lets them know that I'm the one that sent you. So takecareof.com, use the code Katie at checkout. Thank you so much, Kara, for sponsoring the show. This is my favorite thing I do. I'm so excited that you believe in the show and I believe in you and we can work together and and thank you for checking them out. And before we get to the show, a couple more announcements. My friend and mentor and past podcast guest, maybe three times over, Gabby Bernstein is launching her Spirit Junkie Masterclass, which is her way of teaching people to teach meditation and kundalini yoga and speaking skills and even some online business skills. She's just a fantastic woman I love so much and I've done her course and a lot of people I know have done her course and she's launching it again right now and if you want to check it out, click through the link in the show notes and it supports the show and it's just something I really believe in and love. Just like Kiminami's Vaginal Kung Fu course, which I've also done, Amanda, the show producer, has done. Kim has also been a past podcast guest. And I think learning about your body in this way is something that can be helpful. Take it or leave it. You know, I liked it and I thought it was valuable. And I think Kim is a really interesting human being and person that I learn a lot from and admire. So if you want to check out Gabby's course or Kim's course, the links are in the show notes to do that. It supports the show if you go through our link. And anyway, just wanted to share that with you. Again, thank you so much to care of. Thank you to Ashley. And all right, goodbye from New York. And I will talk to you at the end of this episode. 
How are you? Thank you so much for doing this. I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for being patient and persistent and <laughs> awesome. I have had a million and five things like going on and this has been like, and I've been like, no, I've got to do this thing with Katie. Aww. She's been so patient and so awesome. So I'm really glad that we're finally getting to do this. Oh my gosh. Thank you. So I'm like getting emotional hearing you say that just because you're so <laughs> nice and I've been so excited to interview you and I'm just like laughing how persistent I've been, but I no, really I have it. been because I, you know, I've said this to you through email and tweets and all over the internet probably, but I just adore you and your work. And today I've been spending the day with you because I've been listening to you on every other podcast you've ever oh. done. <laughs> That's a lot of podcasts, Kate. <laughs> There's so many. You've done so many. I was, And that's another thing I was going to say. I'm so grateful that I know you have, get so many requests. So I'm so grateful that you're doing this. But, you know, it's been a delight spending the day with you. But then I started to get this anxiety because I was like, I have so many different things and different topics that I could go with you and, and ask. And I think I'm just going to, like, let it unfold. I mean, I obviously have, like, copious notes of things that I, like, wanted yeah. to touch on. But I'm like... Okay, it's fine. I'm someday I will get to talk to you again. I need to just stop being anxious. You absolutely <laughs> will. And we can just I mean, we can just talk about whatever you want to talk about. Perfect. Don't be shy. Don't be like don't hesitate. Don't hold back. Like I'm really like anything I've written about, talked about online, like all of those things. Like clearly <laughs> I'm a little bit of like an overshare maybe, but you know, which I just I love, think which is why I love you. <laughs> I just think these things are important to talk about. Yes. So Yes. You know, just come through whenever you want. Well, I already feel cozy just hearing your voice right now. I feel like way better than I did like five minutes before. So good. This is good. Great. That makes me happy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I love this pod hosting this podcast because it's great because the first time I meet someone, I get to talk about deep things right off the bat just because we're recording it and skip the small talk, which is good because I'm terrible at small talk and go right into the things that I love talking about. Anyway, so what I love starting the podcast with lately is the present, since we'll talk about the past and the future and what you have coming up, but I really want to know what have you been learning or pondering or curious about presently, like in the last today or mm. this week or month? You know, I have really been sort of meditating on the idea of enough and focusing on that word. Um, because I think of myself, you know, the past um, three years have really been me focusing on things like ambition and growth and, you know, maybe like honesty and authenticity and vulnerability and, you know, things that can be considered kind of buzzwords, but, you know, they are words attached to actual practices and actual, you know, like characteristics of a person that I would like to embody. Um, and I think, you know, I started feeling something in my life um, being at odds, some desire, um, some, you know, like just feeling in the in my gut being at odds with certain elements of my life or certain things, certain goals that I had. And I was trying to figure out like what like what was the discrepancy? Like what is the thing that is like battling like my goals in like in my head and like in my heart? And I just kept sort of like coming up against the idea 
um, and even really sort of like coming up against the word enough. Like, what is enough? And when do I have enough? And, and you know, like, what is, I think, okay, I ramble, so hold on just a sec. But I, I really felt like. I'm with you. This is great. I really felt like there were things being offered to me. There were things I was being asked to consider. There were these grand opportunities that felt like dreams come true. You know what I mean? Like just mm-hmm. dreams. Like if I could do this, these are dreams coming true. And I never stopped to actually think about whether or not I wanted them because it was just like more, right? Like more dreams, more opportunities, more significance, more ambition, more, 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 more. And I wasn't really taking the time to ask myself like, but do you actually want that thing? Is it enough that it's, that it's more? Like, do you want more of whatever it is or whatever it's gonna bring in your life? Do you actually even want that? And it took a minute for me, and it's still taking a minute to be perfectly honest. Like that's why it's a present thing um, for me to really sit back and ask myself, you know, at what point do you have enough stuff? At what point do you have enough significance? At what point have you acquired the life that you want or wanted? Like, because I think if you don't have an idea of what enough looks like for you, then you just keep going. Like, you just keep going. And I think that you it's really easy to keep going in directions that don't actually make sense for your spirit, your temperament and the life you want just because you're caught in the inertia, you're caught in the movement of forward. And even though I do want to be going forward, I do want to be growing all the time. I do want to be learning all the time. I don't want to be a person who can't be satisfied. That's not what I'm looking for. So, yeah, sorry, that was a really long answer, but it's just because it's like top of mind and I've been thinking about it so much. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I love that and relate to it. And I have like a follow up question. So how do you because it kind of reminds me of that that Jim Carrey quote that is like around the Internet about, you know, I wish everyone would get everything they ever wanted. So then they would realize that it's not what fulfills them or whatever. And so how do you get that honest with yourself? How do you do that self-inquiry to know, like, is this, am I doing doing this thing because I I think it will make me feel enough or am I doing this because I actually want it? I think, I think probably the first thing you have to do, and it's actually the hardest thing, is think about if no one was watching me And if it wasn't important to me that anyone else was watching me or had any other thoughts about what I do, what would my life look like? I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm not worried about somebody being disappointed in me. I'm not worried about somebody being proud of me. It's just, what would I do if I was just doing it for myself? And what would I need if I only was like, if that was like, the core of me, what would I need? And I started thinking about that and I realized that, you know, when I was younger, 
I used to think the only and and to and understanding like I grew up without a lot like my family was working class to sometimes living in poverty you know I went to college with no money you know I was the definition of a broke college student because I didn't even have like a safety net you know I didn't even have parents who I could lean on if there was an emergency financially because they didn't have it you know Um, and I used to think back then it would be enough to have a home of my own that I could be proud of, to have someone love me as much as I love them, and to be writing, to be a person who writes. And that was it. Like, I was like, that would be enough. And somewhere along the line, that changed, you know? And in some cases, you know, it changed because I realized there were things that were available to me that I didn't realize were available to me. I didn't realize that I was the kind of person who could end up getting a job that took her to New York. I didn't realize that I was the kind of person who could end up being having a partner who didn't just love her as much as she loved them, but also like adored her and respected her and loved her ambition, you know, like in some ways, you know, my goals and my dreams and all those things expanded to include what was actually available to me so that I had a more complete idea of what I wanted. Um, And in other ways, I think I just started to do things because my heroes were doing them or because I'd read about my heroes having done them. And I decided when I was younger that it was, you know, an important thing to do if you get the chance. So if you get the chance, you just got to take it. You got to do it because your heroes did it and it made them who they are. And I didn't stop to think about whether those things were right for me. So I've been doing a lot of that. I've been really just stopping. And, you know, when an opportunity comes my way, I look at it and I don't think who would be impressed by this. I don't think who am I going to make proud when I do this? I don't think who am I going to disappoint if I do this? I look at those things now and I just go, is that what I want to do? If I say yes to that, what do I have to say no to? Wow. And I also, you know, so that's pretty much it. Like, it's just like I'm trying to weigh in a lot of cases um, just what is right for my life and for the kind of life I want. Not the kind of career, not the kind of husband or partner, not, you know, like the kind of money even. Like, it's just like, what kind of what what is what kind of life do I want? And does this opportunity like does it excite me? And is it something that I really want to do? Or is it just something that I'm like, that'll be really impressive on my resume? And if it's the latter, then I just don't do it. Because the truth of the matter is, if I try to do something I don't actually want to do because I think it'll be impressive or because I think it'll make somebody proud, I have a extraordinarily hard time finishing it or even starting it. And I don't enjoy myself. Wow. What you said there about asking, you know, if no one was watching or if you weren't trying to make anyone proud, would you do it? I think that's such a good self-inquiry thing to have and, like, even a journaling exercise to do that I'm already going to take away from this. (laughs) Something to to think about because I think no matter where you are in your life or in your career, there's kind of always a version of what you're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. 
this there's is- always a version of that. I think, um, yeah, um, yeah, I just, I think that um, it's hard, right? Because making people proud is such a positive thing. Yeah. It is such a positive thing. Um, but I think sometimes we forget that the people who we really care about and the people who love us most, we can make proud by doing the things that make us happy. Like that's why they love us. That's why they invested in us their time, their their life, their money, whatever it is. Like that's why we got that in the first place is because they wanted us to be happy. And that is how we make them proud is by being happy and being the version of successful, um, that is successful to us. Like you have to come up with your own idea of success at some point. You can't keep just like, you know, uh, trying to fit into other people's boxes. It's never going to work. It's never going to work. Yeah. And I feel like it's always changing too. And then we constantly have to relearn and and re-get to know ourselves. And I think like in our 20s, especially, well, in every decade, we're changing so rapidly. So how do you get to know yourself and like stay I just feel like you're someone who's so self-aware and Mm. is that something that you think has grown with you or have you always kind of been that self-aware something that helps me to be and maybe your writing too is writing a tool that helps you be so self-aware and you've been in therapy for years too like is that something that helps you what are kind of some tools that help you get to know yourself so well uh, p- part of it is definitely writing. Part of it is reading. Um, I read a lot of, you know, I've read every book Brene Brown <laughs> has ever put out. Yeah. Um, I also just, you know, I, I read, um, I read all over the place. I read fiction. I read nonfiction. I read poetry. I read YA. I read genre. Like I read as much as I can. Like, I would actually like to read more. That's not true. I don't read as much as I can. I want to read more. Um, But books and stories and, you know, listening to other people's stories and talking to other people, it's like, it's not enough to see myself in, you know, like their words. It's like, I also see myself just in their experiences Mm. and I see myself and I see certain mistakes that I've made. I've seen, I see certain successes I've had. And, you know, when a writer is writing in a way that is very honest, I feel that too. Like, it's like, I, I feel like it jumps off the stage, off the page when you're reading a writer who is just really digging into their own shit and sharing that with you, um, or really digging into the shit of a character, you know, an artist who really understands humanity and is displaying it. It's so easy to read that and feel that and take from it whatever you need to take from it. Um, I also just, you know, I I am not a good small talker. (laughs) I never have been. I like to talk about things that I feel like matter. And I think that one of the things that matters most in this world is being able to see yourself 
clearly, as clearly as possible. So I'm always talking to other people who are sort of in the same um, emotional, spiritual, um, self-awareness pursuit that I am. I don't necessarily believe that I'm all that self-aware or more self-aware than most people. Um, I am in pursuit of that, of being you know, more and more self-aware. But I think what it really is, is that um, I have always been a person for whom it was really important to communicate effectively how she felt. Um, I don't like to be misunderstood and I don't like to be misrepresented. So the easiest way, in my opinion, to avoid those things is to be clear and to be as clear as possible, as clear as you possibly can be about what you're feeling, how you feel and what you want. Um, So I've gotten pretty good at being able to say, this is how I feel. Um, this is why I think I feel this way. I don't always know if that's right. It's like, but I think this is why. Um, and this is what I want now. Like I, I want to feel differently or I want to revel in this feeling or I want to change this feeling, whatever it is. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I try to communicate those things as clearly as possible. Mm. Yeah, I think when you know, the better you know yourself, the better you can be for your relationships too because you can mm-hmm. communicate more vulnerably and more, you know, on the, on the level of who you actually are, not like a shell of who you want to appear to be, I guess. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I hated... Growing up, one of the things I hated, and one of the things that I hate as an adult is being treated like a mind reader. I hate it when I find out someone's upset with me or they're having a bad time, but they just think I should just know. I can't do it. Like, I literally can't do it. Yeah, the worst. And and I just, it it upsets me and and it frustrates me. And so, you know, I I think sometimes that we teach people how to treat us. Mm. So I just don't allow it (laughs) in my personal relationships. I do not allow it, you know, and when friends act a certain way or when they try to do the passive aggressive thing, I go, "Uh uh-uh, like, tell me what's wrong or treat me like your friend. This is not how you would treat a friend. So if you're feeling like I've been a bad friend or if you're feeling like I'm not a friend anymore, you need to communicate that to me. You need to put on your big girl, your big boy, your big person pants and let me know if that's the case because I'm not going to dig. I can't tolerate a tantrum from an adult. It's like, tell me what you want or go figure out what you want. Like those are your two options. It's okay to say, I don't know why I'm mad. I don't know why I'm upset. I don't know why I feel this way. That's okay. But you have to admit that you're upset (laughs) and you have to, you know, take that responsibility on to figure out where that's coming from and what you need in this time. Maybe you don't need somebody to try to fix it. That's okay. I often don't need somebody to try to fix what's going on with me, but I do need to let the people around me know where I am emotionally because I, I can't make my bad day someone else's problem. Ooh, yeah, oh, that's such a good point. Something I wanted to talk to you about, which we're kind of already in the vein of, is relationships and communication 
is I'm sure one of the reasons, but you and Kelly have such a great healthy relationship from what I know about it. And I would love if you could talk about, you know, some of the things, I'm sure communication is one of them, but what makes it work so well and any kind of lessons or advice you have from your relationship for other partnerships. Oh yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's fun. Like that's funny. Um, I don't, you know, we're, we are not perfect, like at all by any means, but we are very happy. And I think a big part of the reason why he and I are so happy is because we just talk to each other. We talk to each other all the time. Um, we talk to each other in a fun way. We talk to each other in a serious way. We are ingrained in each other's lives. You know, Kelly, you know, we talk about money. We talk about our feelings. We talk about our health. We talk about all of those things because we're in a partnership and we are trying to share a life together. And you can't share a life with someone who you don't feel like you can tell when you're having a bad day or when you're having a money issue or, you know, whatever those things are. Um, But we, I think we figured a lot of that out pretty early on. Um, It was harder for me. I was terrified. I was terrified of Kelly. He showed up and he was, you know, amazing and seemed too good to be true and was also really into me. You know what I mean? Like he he just sort of showed up and I am not the kind of person who accepts a whole lot of things that just show up and especially not at that time in my life. Um, I was skeptical and it took him, you know, doing the work of being, you know, like a good communicator and meaning what he said. Kelly would say things, but then he stood by them. He never let me down. He did not, you know, say one thing and then do another. He didn't refuse to talk to me. He didn't accuse me of having too many feelings or talking too much. You know, he just got into the arena with me because he felt like that was what he signed up for. Um, And then that just worked for us. You know, I don't know if it works for everybody that way. Um, But I do know that one of the things that I think really helped is, you know, before we started dating, but Kelly, you know, was in pursuit (laughs) of Mm -hmm. me. He um, he said, um, what do you want? Tell me what you want, because I kept saying, I don't think you're ready for what I want. And he said, well, I don't know what you want. (laughs) You have to tell me what you want. And in a very, very uncharacteristic for me um, at the time move, I did exactly that. I got 100% honest and I told him what I was looking for in a relationship and that, you know, I didn't want to, you know, just fool around. Like if we were going to do this, then I wanted it to be serious and I wanted us to make a real effort and I wanted him to, you know, really get to know me and I really wanted to get to know him and I wanted us to like, just try, like really try, like give it everything. Don't do like the coy you know, oh, I don't know. It's like, no, we're going to do this. We're going, if we're going to do it, then we're going to do it. We're going to be in it. We're going to try really hard. And we did. And that worked out really well. You know, like now we live together and, you know, in New York and he's the love of my life. Mm -hmm. He's my favorite person. He's Uh. my favorite person in the entire world. 
And I like a lot of people. Like if it, I mean, if it came down to it, like you probably at this point know how I feel about Kenny Loggins. Yeah. And if it came down to Kenny or Kelly, like I'd pick Kelly. He is, he's ever, like he's amazing. And but I think that we would not have gotten here if I hadn't found the strength to be honest at the beginning, and if he hadn't had the foresight to ask like really ask. Yeah. So yeah. I, whenever I hear you talk about your relationship or when I read you writing about your relationship, I just, it fills me up with so much joy and I just (laughs) smile about it. How did you guys meet? We met in class. We were in the same class in college in Indiana. And um, the class was a seminar, but it was set up like a production company. And I was technically within the production company, his boss. And that's how we met. But we didn't date then. We were just friends. And I guess maybe now I know that he was maybe into me. I did not know that at the time. Um, But apparently he really liked me uh, then. And a year later, we were at a bonfire together at his house. He asked me to go four-wheeling the next day. I was still thinking it was kind of like a friend thing, but we went and we did the whole four-wheeler thing. And while we were covered in mud and standing next to his truck, he kissed me. And that was sort of like the, how we met. Like that was the beginning of our involvement with each other. But you know, a lot of stuff happened between then and the conversation where he, you know, asked me what I wanted. And we now are in this iteration of our relationship. Like we both had a lot of growing up to do before we got here. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's such a great story. Yeah. Well, speaking of relationships and other types of relationships, I know that friendships and particularly female friendships and and mentorships are a big part of your life, too. And I loved your conversation a long time ago with Lena Dunham on her podcast about female Mm -hmm. friendships. That was really one of the things that I really loved hearing about. And I would love to know, you know, how any of your advice on being a good friend and also boundaries with friendships and communication in that type of a partnership? Oh, yeah. Um, Absolutely. And it is just another kind of partnership. Um, But I would say probably um, the most important thing about being a good friend is just doing what you say you're going to do. And I have not traditionally (laughs) been great about that. Um, I am working on it. Uh, but my relationship, I would say my relationship, you know, specifically with Lena started because I was trying to become a person who was more consistent with follow through. And when she asked me to email her and I said I would, I didn't have anything that I could think of to really email her about anything pertinent or important. <laughs> um, but I told her I would. So I got over myself and I did it. I emailed her just like about my life and what my life was like at that point. And, you know, some of my fears that were, you know, at top of mind, some of my joy that was top of mind. I tried to give her this little snapshot into my 
mental, emotional, and physical life as it was at that moment, because that was really the only thing I could think to write to her about. And that turned into this back and forth over months that fueled this like wonderful, beautiful friendship that I have with her now. Yeah. I love Uh, that you guys emailed early in your friendship. And yeah, I, I think that's, that's so my boyfriend and I like basically started our relationship sending really long emails like that. And I just thought of the connection right now of like, you can really get to know someone in, in such a intimate way through that, through writing. Oh yeah. Well, you know, the first year that Kelly and I were dating, Kelly was, um, in Seattle. He lived in Seattle. Oh, no way. I didn't know that. Yeah. The first year that we were dating, we were completely long distance. So it was all phone calls and texts, long texts and emails and, you know, um, reading the same book at the same time so we could talk about them, you know, and things like that. It was, yeah, I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing. It, It set the foundation for our relationship as it stands right now. Um, and the same goes for, you know, my relationship with Lena, you know, like I, Lena's a very busy person. I don't know if you know, like she's, (laughs) she's busy. She is around, but also gone. Like she's just, she's a million places all at once all the time. And we, you know, don't get to see each other in person super frequently like probably every like couple months or so do we even get to see each other in person but we still text and you know sometimes we still send emails and I love that like it's so clear that our friendship is not based on like being just all up against each other or just like you know how like sometimes you can be friends with a person mostly out of proximity. Yeah. It's like we're buds and it's mostly just because you live down the street or because you're my neighbor, you know, or something like that. Or you're like in the class, you're my work friend. Yeah. I love that our, our friendship is not based on that and that, you know, I feel like I could live or be anywhere in the world and she's still gonna be my friend and we're still gonna be people who communicate with each other and that I mean there's just a safety in that yeah that's interesting and I didn't realize that that you and Kelly were long distance and I think I I maybe told you an email but I'm moving to New York in June June 9th and um I my boyfriend and I will be long distance and all my friends here and I will now be long distance which you went through as well and it it sounds Mm -hmm. like I love that you guys read the same books together and I think that that's figuring out how to do that almost sounds like in your relationship with Lena same thing that relationships can almost be more intimate when they're remote and or at least it can maybe not necessarily more intimate but a different level a different thing it is a different absolutely a different kind of intimate like because you know there are just some things you can't rely on you know a lot of things that i love about living with kel a lot of things that i love about you know us sharing physical space um out in the world together we didn't have for you know about a year and so it forced us to really lean into our um our emotional 
and our um, intellectual connection. You know, Kelly and I are both people who are always thinking, <laughs> like always, 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 always. It is the fuel of our anxieties, our insecurities, and also like the fuel of our greatest successes and, you know, our best thoughts. And it's part of our pride, you know, like in each other is that we're smart. We are smart people. Um, and we really got to dig into that, that like intellectual curiosity about each other while we were long distance. We read these books and we, you know, naturally because of, we're different people, you know, had different interpretations, you know, and we figured out so much about how the other person saw the world. And that yeah. was incredibly satisfying, you know, like there are times, you know, I, to be fair, I'm, I, I don't think, I used to think Kel could move away now and I'd be okay. I don't know if that's true anymore. I think I might miss him too much. But I know that like, I have this like certainty now that just the physical being apart will never be something that destroys us. Yeah. It's cool that you guys, and I can relate to this too, we kind of do this like podcasting club where we're like, you know, go off and listen to the things, maybe the same things and then talk about them and discuss them. And I just think it's, it's a really creative thing to have these deep conversations about things that you're into or art you consume or something you read. And it's like, you can kind of pick away in your mind at these things that you relate to other people's work, but also you're showing yourself when you talk about it with someone which is just fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's the best. <laughs> um, when you moved to New York, what about making friends and, you know, how, what kind of advice do you have on, on that, on, you know, being in a new place and something we have in common that, you know, we're both Midwestern. What was that experience like for you moving to New York? Not necessarily just with making friends, but what was, I would love to hear about the, you've been there for how long now? Has it been? It's been almost three years. It'll be three years next month. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what, I would love to kind of just hear what it's like living in New York for you now and, and what the beginning was like. Yeah. Um, well, the beginning was rough. You know, I moved here on crutches. I tore my ACL two weeks before I moved to oh, New York. Really? So yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Goodness. So I was, I was on crutches when I moved here. I didn't have an apartment yet. Um, I was, you know, couch hopping with friends and then, um, an apartment, I went and able to like put down the deposit and move in. Uh, but it was tricky, you know, <laughs> like it was just tricky, um, getting to know New York and being comfortable in New York. I would not consider myself naturally a city girl. Um, I think I am much more of a small town girl in my heart. Uh, so it's been interesting, uh, figuring out how to sort of have those two parts of myself work together because my career is a city girl's career. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for now it makes sense for me to be in the city. Uh, now it's like, I, I have learned to appreciate 
the city in a lot of different ways. I've learned to appreciate all of the cultural artifacts that are so close to me, um, cultural experiences that come through here. Um, I love living in a neighborhood that is mostly black folks, to be perfectly honest. Um, I love um, being able, you know, I love that, like, if a, if a news, sta- if I write something and a news station wants to do a segment on it, then they say, can you come down to 30 Rock to do this segment? And I'm like, yep, because I can get on the train and go to 30 Rock and do a segment for TV. You know what I mean? Like, that's totally fine. Um, I love the opportunity that the city provides me, even when I don't necessarily love uh, the high rents and the dog poop on the sidewalks all the time or how hard it is you know to just like (laughs) get anything from point a to point b you know it's tough but yeah yeah. what advice do you have for someone who is moving from the midwest to new york city aka me or yourself (laughs) a couple a couple years ago i would say something you you wish you would have known i would say lean into it like lean into the city in the way that makes sense to you. Like definitely like go to the Met, go to the ballet, go to the Russian tea room, go to all these places that, you know, like, and don't worry about them being overwhelming. The truth, they're not going to overwhelm you. Nothing is the same in person as it is on TV. It's not going to overwhelm you, but you might get some joy from it. And in this city, it is really important to know where you get your joy and how to get back to it. It's so important to figure that out early. And if you do, I think you can live here, you know, for a really long time and have a good time doing it. You know, I don't feel done with New York. I've been here three years. I don't and I don't. And I was not a person who dreamed of living in New York. That wasn't my dream. It's a thing that happened, but it wasn't, you know, like this goal of mine. And now that I'm here, it's all about figuring out what in this city brings me joy and doing that as much as possible. And all the other stuff will start to feel at least worth it. Mm. Even if it doesn't feel good, (laughs) it'll feel like a decent and equitable trade-off. Yeah, means to an end. So what brings you joy in the city? Parks bring me a lot of joy. I love Prospect Park. I love Central Park. Um, I love street food. I love going to a cart and getting like a knish or getting like a spicy Italian sausage and a bun and then just walking around the park, like eating that. I love the museums. I love, 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 love the museums. Um, I love being able to do things, you know, I I traditionally have not been a person who went to concerts. I have really bad anxiety with crowds, but I can, I've done it here and really enjoyed it. I saw Shania Twain at Madison Square Garden. You know, I've been to Carnegie Hall. I've been to, you know, the King's Theater, which is right down the street from my apartment. Um, I also just find right now a lot of joy in doing things that like I couldn't necessarily do in the Midwest. You know, if you want like a burger or if you want to like hang out with a friend or something in the Midwest at 1 a.m., you better be within a decent proximity to a steak and shake because that's really your only option. Here, 
there are so many options at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., or whatever. Places, diners to just sit, places to just talk with people. And I really, really enjoy that. Like, I love that um, the city never really turns a shoulder to me. And I love that I haven't experienced a quarter, not even a quarter, of what this city has to offer in terms of cuisine, because I really like it. Cool. Oh, you're well. You're making me feel better about uh, feeling stressed about moving. So I'm yeah. feeling better. You're. We're another thing that we have in common is that we're both Midwestern. Do you think that mm-hmm. being Midwestern is a defining aspect of your personality, or what does it mean yes. to you to be Midwestern? This is so funny that you say this because I'm telling you right before we did this. Um, my boyfriend got home from work. He works at a bookstore Uh and we were talking, talking about things or whatever. And he says, you know, he's like, I don't even like Indiana that much, but it is so important to me that I'm from there. And I love being a Hoosier. And I feel the exact same way. Like, well, not the exact same way because I actually really love Indiana. Um, but it is so, so important to me. I love that I am a Hoosier. I love that I am from the Midwest. I love what that signifies. I love how it's affected my personality. Um, I feel like there's just a level of patience and consideration that's baked in to being a Midwesterner. And even though I don't necessarily always fall in line with the politics of a typical Hoosier, um, I absolutely love that we are typically raised to be kind and to be considerate of the lives and spaces of people around us, you know, in general. And I bring that into all of my interactions. And it's really funny because I do think it's an odd leg up in a city like New York because people notice when someone is uncharacteristically or, you know, unexpectedly considerate. And a lot of things that come naturally to me, like holding a door open or, you know, just being really patient or helping, you know, people in the subway or whatever it is, um, here are sometimes in certain cases considered kind of an anomaly of the personality. And it just reminds me often that, oh, yeah, I'm not from here. Yeah. Like, I love New York and I will, you know, be supportive of New York. And especially right now, it's it's like the only city that I want to live in right now, like right at this moment. But, um, yeah, it, it makes me I, – I, I don't ever want to forget where I'm from. I don't yeah. ever want to forget what I'm made of. And I just feel like Midwestern stock is a different kind of stock. And what we're made of is something very special. And I think it is something that moves in the world in ways that, you know, really lead to unexpected success for Midwesterners. Mm. Yeah, it's funny that you said that because every time I've been in New York, everyone always knows that I'm not from there. And they're always mm-hmm. like, where are you from? And I tell them Michigan and I think there is something that I have maybe that I don't even realize that's just like a way of communicating or a way of being that is just different than people. I don't know. I think it's just, it's funny. And that did, I'm wondering if it, I feel like I'm not being articulate right now at all, but did you, do you think it became more important to you when you moved to New York where you're from and you feel like leaving (laughs) was also important like do you feel like to be 
be more and like express yourself more do you think that going away from where you're from and you know potentially coming back or whatever do you think it was like an important step for you it's something I think about a lot I guess well let me start by saying I love Indiana but I am so aware that the career I've had so far would not have been possible especially in the timetable that it's happened um, in Indiana I would not have a certain amount of visibility um, I wouldn't have had certain writing opportunities. I definitely wouldn't have wouldn't have had certain opportunities to be on TV or anything like that um, without moving to New York. A lot of things happened just based off proximity. Um, I will also say that I totally plan on buying a house in Indiana. <laughs> uh, I still plan on that, and I, I don't think that's anything that's going to go away. Like even the thought of it brings me a lot of joy. Most of my closest friends still live in Indiana. My family's in Indiana. My dad, who just got out of prison after 30 years, lives in Indiana. It's like, it, it will always be home. It will always, always, always be home. No matter where I live, that will be sort of where the center of me lies, geographically anyway, yeah. is in Indiana. So, yeah, like that is that is part of my Indiana journey is I had to get away to get what I wanted in certain aspects of my life. But coming back for significant amounts of time is inevitable and necessary for me. Cool. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so I have to, to gush to you about your writing and talk t with you a bit about your writing. So okay. I think one of the, maybe this was one of the first essays, but one that sticks out to me in my mind was an essay you wrote for Lenny a couple years ago called Confessions at Coney Island, mm -hmm. where you wrote about swimming in the ocean for the first time with Kelly and not wanting to tell him that it was your first time swimming in the ocean. And it was just such a beautifully written essay and I related to it so much and I think, you know, everybody can relate to that sense of feeling insecure for their lack of experience in, in one way or another. And that essay, like so many that you've written, just made me feel so much less alone. And mm. I want, I, what I'm wondering is, with your writing, do you think that you're processing things? And I guess we a little bit talked about this at the beginning. When you're feeling, going through, that's one example, but your essays talk about uh, all sorts of different things. You're opening wounds again and you're feeling feelings again probably when you're writing them mm -hmm. and so I was wondering what is that process like for you and do you feel like sometimes you're feeling these feelings for the first time or actually fully feeling them or do you mm. feel like you're having to re-feel them and maybe you could just talk about that a little bit I feel like I always learn something in the process of writing about things right like that that essay that I wrote for Lenny probably started like uh, with the idea that like, oh, this is something that I've dealt with. This has already happened. You know, this is something that I'm, I'm rehashing my feelings in this essay. Uh, what actually ended up happening was in the writing of the essay, there were elements that I discovered within the writing. Like while I was writing it, I was like, oh, I guess I felt like this. Or, oh, I guess this is why this other thing happened and why I felt that way. You know, like that is 
how that works out. And that's definitely how it works out for me. Um, typically in my writing is that, um, I always start thinking that, um, (laughs) I always start thinking that I've already processed this. I've already gone through this. Now I'm just telling the story and in the practice of the writing, I'm like, Oh no, Oh no, like there's more here and I'm discovering more as I write it. You know, when I wrote that piece for Lenny, I remember afterwards realizing that the first trip Kel and I took overseas as a couple couldn't be somewhere he'd already been. Mm. And it was just incredibly important to me, you know, that whatever trip we took, it wasn't him I didn't have to feel like he was showing me the world. I would get to feel like we were exploring it together, Mm. Um, which is why, you know, we recently planned our first trip overseas. And at the in the middle of May, we'll leave for Italy and we'll be there for two weeks. And it's a place neither of us has ever been. Um, It's my first trip overseas that I've planned completely you know, like on my own without like, you know, some magazine sending me somewhere and telling me what to do. It's like, this is my first overseas pure vacation. Um, And it's actually our first vacation, just the two of us. We've traditionally not had enough money to go on, you know, like any sort of vacation that was just the two of us or timing didn't work, our schedules got mixed up, like whatever it is. Um, so this will be our first vacation, just the two of us. And we're going to Italy and I am still, you know, sometimes grappling with those feelings of like, I'm just not as well traveled as he is. And, you know, there's just so much more about these things that he knows that I, I don't know and that I won't know until I do it. And when I write about something like that, it's with the understanding that like, the feelings that I have in that piece could change. And also that, you know, uh, everything changes, you know, anything I've written, any essay I've ever written, I, if I went back and tried to write it now, I could not write it the same way because I'm different. I've had more experiences. I've seen more things. And also because in the process of writing that essay, I changed. Some of my thoughts changed. Some of my ideas changed. And that just keeps happening. That just keeps going. Yeah. Oh, wow. I I want to know, too, about the reaction to your essays and your work and when they're shared in the world. And one in particular, mm-hmm. which I feel like I've gushed to you about, and I've gushed all over the Internet about your more recent essay, the one on a cup of Joe, where you it's called Seeing My Body with Fresh Eyes. And, again, that one just really struck a chord with me and so many people. But what has... I would love to hear more about that essay and particularly the reaction to it and how mm-hmm. that makes you feel. That essay has been wild <laughs> because I it was one of those things that I wrote, you know, like pretty raw, right from the heart and did not expect a bunch of feedback from, but the feedback came in droves, just emails and emails and, and, and Twitter messages and Facebook messages and Instagram messages. And just so many people felt some kind of way, mostly positive about that essay. And I guess like when something like that happens, 
it just makes me, it really does make me think like, why? Like, I always have to know why. Like, why did people respond to this so strongly, you know? And I think it comes down to the fact that um, people are just kind of starved for content about relationships that are working. (laughs) I think that we see things all the time about how to get someone or how to keep someone or how to get over losing someone. But we don't necessarily see a whole lot of writing about like my person has done something that made me, you know, like see myself or my relationships alter us. All relationships alter us and romantic relationships, romantic relationships, especially because they are so intimate. Um, I, I don't know why there aren't more pieces or more writing about these changes that we go through under, you know, the safety net of being well loved. Mm. Because we do. When there is a safety net, when you know that no matter how far you fall, you are going to fall into the arms of someone who loves you deeply and unconditionally, you try to fly higher. You absolutely try to fly higher. I am not the only one experiencing this. I am not the only one going through this. I am not the only one finding herself feeling more free under the safety net of love. Like I am not the only person going through that. For some reason, I'm the person who wrote this essay and realized that not a lot of people are writing about this. And maybe it's because people think love that is working is boring. Maybe it's because some people think that it just doesn't make for good writing. But clearly there's an audience for it. And clearly there are people who are starving for content that gives them hope about love. So, I mean, the responses to my work are overwhelmingly positive in general. Like that essay was wild. like, yes, it got wild. Like the responses were just more than I could handle, even though they were positive. Um, but in general, I get positive responses to my work. And the few times that I get negative responses, usually I'm not super concerned with it. Um, I'm not inundated by trolls or, you know, by people saying negative things about what I do. Um, I sometimes, you know, when we, like we going back to the idea that I hate being misunderstood and misrepresented, um, you know, I just did a reporting piece not too long ago and a lot of people reacted to the headline and not what was actually in the article. And that upset me quite a bit, but at the end of the day, it's just like, what, what am I supposed to do? What are they supposed to do? You know, like I can't let, I can't let people's opinions or what they think affect what I know and what I know is that I'm a good writer and I'm a good communicator and I'm in general trying to do the right thing out here I'm trying to be uh, a credit I'm trying to be helpful I'm trying to be of assistance I'm trying and sometimes not even that sometimes I'm just expressing myself and in doing those things I just don't, I can't take on too much 
of other people's feelings about what I do, positive or negative. I just have to do what it feels right for me to do. Well, you're doing amazing. You, not to be too much of a fangirl, but you're making me feel less alone. And that oh. es- that essay, I, I literally like copy and pasted paragraphs from it and I put it in stickies on my desktop and I just oh. read them sometimes when I need to. <laughs> it's just there. <laughs> I love it so much. I think I love what you said about the healthy relationships because I was just thinking that last night I was watching a movie. I was watching Away We Go for the a millionth time. And oh my god, I love that movie. It's such I a good movie. It it's such a good movie and I it's kind of speaking to the point. I think it's a a great movie because it shows a really great relationship which we hardly ever see in the media, which is like what you were saying. And that's what we were talking about last night and and why I think we love it so much, which is exactly the point that you were making and I think the other reason that that essay resonated with me so much and something that I wanted to ask you about anyway and I talk about on this podcast all the time since it's something that's been so pervasive and I still struggle with a lot but which is body image and I think women and just people in general it's something that whenever people talk about that too is you know people latch on to and so what I wanted to ask you is when you're having a, or if you still do, or if you ever do have a, you know, bad body image moment, or, a, you know, how do you shift out of that to not spiral and, and let it turn into, you know, a bad body image day or week? What are some of your tips for, and I, I love the way you speak about finding the home in your body and, and reclaiming your body. You know, I think probably, uh, first of all, let me say that I absolutely still have bad body days. And I absolutely do still have days when I look in the mirror and I'm like, seriously, this is what I have to work with. You know what I mean? Like, it's normal. And it happens. You know, I'm not necessarily, you know, super into the idea of body positivity as a fact as much as a process. Mm. You know, like you're working on being more positive about your body a lot of time. You're not just like getting there and every time you're not, it's a failure. It's like, it's hard. It's hard. And you have to acknowledge that it's hard. Um, But the way that I usually help myself get out of that is by um, looking at the evidence of my life. Because the things that I'm telling myself are nonsense. When I'm telling myself like, oh man, who could actually be attracted to a body like this? Who could love a body like this? You've let yourself go. You're not, you're like people who actually love themselves look better than that. You know what I mean? Like when I think about those things, I sit down usually and I try to just look at the evidence, because the truth of the matter is, if my boyfriend wasn't attracted to my body, this would be a, a very different relationship. And our sex life would be a lot different if he wasn't attracted to my body. Um, if I didn't have the kind of body someone could love, then why are there so many people in my life who love me? If I've let myself go, then why do I have these, you know, beautiful clothes and these favorite outfits? And why do I, you know, present myself to the world in a way that I feel most looks like me? You know, like it doesn't make sense. Like the evidence often shows that whatever I'm feeling at that time is incongruent with my reality. 
And so I try to just base myself in reality. I try to come back to what is real. And what is real is that I am beautiful and I am loved and I am lovely and I am I'm smart and I am successful and I have not let myself go. There's no such thing as letting yourself go. You know what I mean? Like that's not what is happening here. And whenever I tell myself those things, what I'm actually doing is looking for excuses to stop doing the hard work of being in love with myself. Uh, I just love you so much. (laughs) (laughs) I want to just like play that on repeat every day. I, now I can, it's recorded. (laughs) It is recorded. Finally. (laughs) Yes. You recently got a new tattoo that says home Mm -hmm. and I love that so, so much. Can you, when did you decide to, to get that? And can you talk about that? Oh yeah, like two weeks ago. Um, (laughs) A couple of my friends were um, talking about getting tattoos online and I just put it out there that I would love to go with them and it ended up being a whole thing. We all showed up to the tattoo parlor. Um, But me and my friend Angel Nafis showed up together. And Angel is amazing. She's this lovely, lovely poet. She is incredibly close to my heart. She is, you know, like she's my, in a lot of ways, spiritually, she is my second sister. And, you know, we were talking and I, I, up until I got there, I didn't know what I wanted. And we walked in there and Angel and I had been, you know, we were waiting on a couple of people. So we popped over to a shop and tried on like rings and necklaces and scarves. And, you know, we went and got some, you know, (laughs) we went and got a couple of iced chai teas and they were garbage. So we threw them away. (laughs) You know, and we were just talking. I felt so present. I felt so happy and I felt so present in my relationship with her. I felt so present um, in that moment. And I started just thinking about the way I was moving. Like even the way I was moving made me feel beautiful. And I thought to myself, this is the most at home I think I've felt in my body in months. Like this is the most at home I felt. And when I like sort of thought about that word, when I thought about home, I was like, oh my God, like that's what I want. It's like this body is home. This is what I take with me no matter where I go. Like I am home. And if I'm thinking more about, you know, my place in this world, I'm thinking more about, you know, my feelings about myself. It's like I really just need to be centered in the idea that home is always right here. As much as I love Kelly, as much as, you know, like I want to marry him and I want to spend the rest of my life with him, like he will always be part of my life. He will never be, he will never embody home because I am home. And I just didn't want to forget that. And I wanted to, you know, find a way to express that. And the only way I could think of to express it was with the word. Like it had to be the word. And I didn't want it to be blocky because I feel like I'm not blocky. Like when I thought about the softness of myself and my body and who I am, I knew I wanted it to be in cursive. I knew I wanted it to be all lowercase letters because I I think while I present bold maybe in my book or or in my look or in my um 
in my writing and stuff like that, like really the center of me is subtle. It's very subtle. And I move through the world in a lot of ways like water. Like I move through the world in a way that is, you know, I adapt and I communicate and I, I think that I also nurture and I am one of the things, you know, that sort of in my mind that can help, you know, bring new life to certain things um, in certain places and definitely in art. And so I just like I honed in on that word and I couldn't turn away from it. It was the right word. So I permanently put it on my body. Mm. Well, it's beautiful. (laughs) And that sounds like a magical day and experience of getting a tattoo. Was that your first tattoo? No, that was my third. Um, I also shaved my head that day. Oh, cool. That was also the day I shaved my head, cut my hair. Really cool. I love that. I want to, before I ask you the questions I ask everyone, I want to get back to writing a little bit. Can you tell us some of your writing practices or routines or processes that you have? I think I once heard you talk about red nail polish when you're writing something really Ooh. vulnerable. Do you still do you that? You have really been reading. Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I feel like a bit of a stalker, but I'm just, yeah, I, we're, we're very close in an internet sort of a way. It's one-sided right now, but... I love everything you share. <laughs> you cite it soon. Um, I no, I, I do. That's one of the things that I love to do is to paint my nails and then write. Um, typically, red it makes me feel really powerful to paint my nails red and then it works. And it, it works for me. Um, I also I write better in a clean apartment. Luckily, I have a boyfriend who cleans like it's his job. (laughs) It's not his job, but he's just so amazing at it. So that works out. Um, I process wise, I think like the biggest thing for me is to like present the page or like sit down to the page and think of it as like an opportunity to create and not as a command to create. Um, When I think of it as a command, it doesn't typically go over super well for me but when I think of it as an opportunity and something that I can play with and you know go wherever then that usually works out and I love that yeah so so yeah that's probably the main things for me yeah oh that's so great I talk a lot about journaling because it's something that's that's so helpful for me so I'm curious as a writer professionally with your career are you or have you ever been someone who journals Yes. Um, but I go off and on back and forth. Sometimes I journal, sometimes I don't. Um, I play with the idea of journaling, um, digitally, but that doesn't go over super well for me. I have to do it by hand. Uh, when I was a kid, I actually really did like to journal and I had a diary, but my mom felt very weird about me having a journal or a diary and she uh, would take them from me. So I wasn't really allowed to have my private space for my private thoughts. And so I, you know, for many years just gave up on the idea of journals and of diaries. And now I try to do it a little bit more because I think it just helps me process. When I was doing um, a thing called Five Things on Tumblr, where every Sunday I wrote five things that like just about whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, that felt like journaling to me. Like that was me journaling. 
And now when I have like those sort of like pangs of like missing doing five things and I want to get back to it or I want to restart it, I know that what I'm actually wanting is to journal. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually trying to figure that out right now, like what journaling looks like for me now, because I'm not sure it can be as public as I, you know, let it be before. But I also don't know that if I'm the kind of person who can, um, just like sit and write by hand every day yeah. or even every other day. So yeah, back and forth. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Well, I want to send you a copy of my book or maybe give it to you when I moved to New York, but I, I wrote this book that's 55 journaling exercises. So I, that. not that you all need writing exercises, but it might be kind of fun to, to have. <laughs> no, that would be really fun. I actually love things like that. So, yeah, yes. it's fun. So, I say it's like a scavenger hunt for your mind, you know? Yeah. Um, so as a writing teacher, I would love your go-to writing advice and, and maybe specifically on how to develop the craft and improve. Do you recommend classes or just simply practice and, you know, how to kind of get over those thoughts of, you know, when your taste is above where your ability is and how mm-hmm. to kind of get, get past that, something that I really struggle with. Well, I would say two things. According, like with the taste thing, you really just want to take Ira Glass's advice and be <laughs> and be patient. Like you want to be patient, as patient as you can be with yourself. You know, you are in study, and that's okay. I'm in study. I teach writing sometimes, and I am not the best writer I will be. I am still learning all the time, and I love that. It's part of it. It's part of the process. It's part of the growth. You know, there are quite a few people who let me know that they love my writing, and I like my writing too, but I know that I can be better. I know that I can do better, and I'm in pursuit of that. So I, I think that sometimes you have to change your perspective on what is most important to you with your writing? Is it that you are the best writer you're going to be? Um, Or is it that people like your writing right now? You know, it's not super important to me that people like everything I write right now because I know that I'm going to get better. (laughs) Like, I know that. So I, I encourage people all the time to keep that in mind. The more you do it, the better you will get. I look at writing that I did four years ago, five years ago. I am a better writer, almost by accident, just by doing it. I am a better writer. So uh, just lean on that, like lean on the understanding that doing the work, the combination of doing the work and time will lead you to being better than you were before, almost out of inertia. Like it's just not that hard to like get better when you keep doing something. Eventually you just sort of figure it out. And I would say, um, what was the other part of your question? I think I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I think just just about um, when you're, you know, like what do you recommend classes or like, and I think you kind of answered it already, just practice. Yeah, just practice. Also, classes can be great. But I would say this, classes are a better way to build your writing community. Um, I'm always like, I do feel like when I have a class that I'm always trying to give people information that they can't just like 
open a book and get. Mm-hmm. Like I'm trying to give them real information from my real experiences as a journalist, um, as a writer, as an essayist, whatever. Like I'm trying to give them like the true tea. Uh, at the same time, um, I'm also trying to give them the opportunity to get to know each other because I think as important as it is to be doing your own work and to keep your eyes on your own page a lot when like you're writing, it is as important to have other writers in your life who understand you, who are at about the same level that you are, who can encourage you because they, no matter, even if they're at the same level that you are, they have a different eye and people who have a different eye will be able to look at your work from a perspective that you can't see it from and can help you grow your work in real time. So I always say it's important to have a good writing community. And I'll also say, you know, I get from my students a lot that, you know, uh, what what if I write this and nobody reads it? Or, or who cares about this thing that I wanna write about? And I always tell them, you know, you're just, you're not that fucking special. You are not so special that you are the only person in the world who cares about a certain thing, or you're the only person in the world who has experienced a certain thing. Are you kidding me? There are 7 billion people in the world right now. That's just the living people. 7 billion in the world right now. And you think you're the only person who's gone through whatever it is you've gone through? Not true, impossible. That can't be true. So when you write about it, Like you have to understand sometimes that you might not have the most visible audience in the world, but they will find you because they are hungry for to read about those experiences. If your experience is that rare, then the people who are interested in that experience, the people who have had that experience, the people who are afraid they're about to have that experience, whatever it is, they will find what you put out there because they're already looking for it. They're already looking for it, even if you don't know them. You're not so special that no one in the world is looking for the same kind of content you are. So, yeah. Oh, that's that's- so inspiring and comforting at the same time. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I want to ask you the questions I ask everyone, and some of them are shorter, some of them are a little bit longer, but just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. So, favorite color? Red. Favorite day of the week? Thursday. Favorite hour of the day? Ooh, 3 p.m. What does your morning routine look like? Maybe the first three things you do when you wake up in the morning. First three things I do when I wake up in the morning are turn off my alarm, um, use the bathroom, and then I usually come and sit on the couch and meditate for 10 minutes. Oh, nice. What kind of meditation do you do? I use the Headspace app. Oh, yeah, that one's great. Mm-hmm. What about in the evening? What are the last three things you do before going to bed, and what are some ways you relax and wind down at the end of the day? At the end of the day, it's usually watching movies, eating snacks, and, like, I don't know, like, talking with Cal or kissing. <laughs> nice. Um, what are some of your favorite wellnessy or self-care routines? I've heard you talk about Mm. the intersection of creativity and self-care and Mm -hmm. how, you know, your work is better when you're taking care of yourself better. Um, I am a big fan of baths. Oh, the best. Big fan of baths. 
Also, um, I really like magazines. I, you know, as a kid, I loved magazines, so I could never really afford them. As an adult, I basically buy all the magazines and I read them all the time. And I love reading them and it doesn't feel like work. Um, and it doesn't feel like something I have to do. It just feels like something I want to be doing. So I love that. Um, and I also, uh, I bake <laughs> when I can. And I find that baking is just this terrific way to be present and also to do something that sort of like employs senses that I don't get to use a whole lot in my career. Yes, I think the same thing about bake baking. I It's a total self-care thing. I've heard you talk about cooking and cooking being a big self-care thing for you. What are, other than baking, what are some of your favorite things to cook? Ooh, I love cooking a good steak. Um, I'm getting better and better at it all the time. I also love, I, ba- I love making like tacos. I love making like different like dishes that include like root vegetables. Like I love a sweet potato. Oh, so um, I love steaming vegetables. I love um, making crispy Brussels sprouts. Oh, those are um, what else do I probably make a lot? Oh, I make like a, um, a mac and cheese, like a spicy mac and cheese. Oh, yeah. And I love making that. I make oh, it a lot. Nice. What is the best thing you've eaten in the last week? Mm. <laughs> Ooh, that's hard. Okay. No, that's not hard. I go, I went to this place two days in a row <laughs> called Little Park um, that's close to where I work. And they have the best Brussels sprouts I've had in the city. And it's like an appetizer and it's amazing. It's so good. Like the Brussels sprouts have like a creamy, like a sauce on them. And then there's also like a little bit of like apple cider vinegar and they're just, they're so good. I can't even take it. I'm excited. I wrote it down. Good. Yum. We should go there. We should go there when you move here. I would love that. That would be amazing. We will do that. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Okay, now I'm, like, truly excited to move, and I'm not stressed out that I don't have an apartment yet (laughs) because I have Brussels sprouts and a date with you. (laughs) Yes, you do. Yes. So Also, if you don't have apartments yet, here's my job. People are always posting that they're looking for roommates. Oh, really? Yeah, like, always. Well, I know this is kind of like a off the the record. No. Yeah. They're always posting that they need roommates. Oh, cool. So I'll I'll give you. Well, obviously you have my email, but I I do. If anyone needs a chill roommate who is very clean and nice and Midwestern. Yeah. Please connect me. That would be amazing. Cool. Cool. Um, Okay. Back on to the record. (laughs) A couple more. This one's actually a pretty big question, but where are you with. God and spirituality and religion and what do you think happens when we die? Um, I'm in a weird place with God and spirituality and religion. I'm still trying to figure out whether I walked away from God or whether I let people take God from me. Um, because most of my issues with God, I'm not sure that they actually have to do with my idea of God as much as they have to do with other people's idea of God and my rejection of that. Um, I don't necessarily believe in the God of fear. I believe in a God of love and I believe in a God of unconditional love. Um, 
and, but I also, you know, like I'm with, like, I don't believe in a, like, just like a dude in the sky. And I, I don't know what happens when we die. And I feel like that is not a question I need answered. That's, yeah. uh, that's pretty much, I, I feel like a lot of questions around God and religion and what happens when we die are just to be perfectly honest, just not the important questions of being alive. Um, I think I am much happier and much more likely to think about whether or not I am being good to people in the world right now. And I can't imagine caring about any God or any religion that does not want that to be my focus yeah I think um someone talks about God being humanity and the connection between people and I that mm-hmm. seems so much more true and of just a better way to kind of orient the way that I think about it in my mind which I love everything you said about that what is the greatest lesson you've learned about family the greatest lesson I've learned about family is that we choose them. <laughs> that is the greatest lesson <laughs> I've ever learned. Um, there are people who might consider themselves your family for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes it's blood. Sometimes it's something that they've done for you. Sometimes, you know, whatever, like something they feel entitled to. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is that you decide. You decide who your family is. And you decide what that looks like. You decide who that includes. And the people who feel entitled to you um, have work to do, just like you have work to do. And people who are not willing to do that work, um, you don't owe them anything. So yeah. Oh, so good. What are you most proud of in your career? Mm, In my career, I am most proud of the fact that um, hmm, I'm most proud of the fact that I am always trying to use my career to help other people start theirs oh I love that and so true mm-hmm. what is your do you happen to have a favorite essay that you've ever written hmm Yeah, I think um, the first essay I I ever had published is still my favorite. I think um, there's an essay called What Burns in the Pit um, on therumpus.com. And it is the first essay I ever had published. It's probably not the best essay I've ever had published, but it is the one um, that it was the founding. It was the foundation of me finding my voice as a writer. Yeah. And for that reason, it will just it'll always when it comes to my writing be, I think, my favorite, my favorite part, my favorite thing. Did you write it with red nail polish? I did, actually. (laughs) I really did. It works. It was the red nail polish. It works. (laughs) And the fact that you're like a brilliant, prolific writer, but also the red (laughs) nail polish. (laughs) Let's hope, girl. What do you have a favorite book or a book that you read recently that you want to recommend? Hmm. <laughs> that is so tricky because I'm always reading. But um yes, I just 
read a book of poetry by a young poet named Morgan Parker um, called There Are More Beautiful Things Than Beyonce. And it was amazing. It was thrilling to read. Um, And it's not a diss. It is not anything against Beyonce. (laughs) It's just like not even a little bit. It's just like toying with the idea of black womanhood and visibility and our heroes and all kinds of things. But it's it's not an anti-Beyonce book. It's just an amazing book of poetry. So, yeah. Cool. I'm excited to check it out. What about movie? Is there a movie that you love that is like kind of your go-to or a movie you saw recently? Anything you want to recommend in movies? I mean, in movies, there. Uh, first of all, usually my taste in movies, like the movies I watch over and over are usually crap. Um, I love a crappy movie, but I'm also... <laughs> But I'm also a very, I'm a dark soul, I think, at heart. I think that had it been, you know, a, like in any way acceptable to be like a black goth girl in Indiana, I would have been <laughs> um, Because I've always loved The Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, and I love movies like Coraline and, you know, like Paranorman and stuff like that. I love movies that deal with like zombies and the dead and, you know, Corpse Bride and stuff. I always, always have. Um, my favorite musical is probably Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. Um, but recently I saw my first Star Wars movie. I saw Rogue One and I loved it. I loved it so much oh, cool. and I thought it was brilliant. And so like, I, I guess like that would be my, my um, suggestion right now would be everybody go see Rogue One. It's funny, it's action packed, it's smart, it's amazing. I really, really liked it. Oh, cool. And you'd never seen any of the other Star Wars movies before? I hadn't, no. Okay, because I just figured that like I wouldn't see it and like because I couldn't for some reason because I'd never seen any other Star Wars movies, but you that's fine. I can go and enjoy it. You know what's funny is that I posted that it was my first Star Wars movie and that I had seen it, and a bunch of people were like, oh my God, you're so lucky. I wish I could have started with that one. Oh. Like, that's what you want to start with. Cool. Like, yes, there. Perfect. So, yeah. Great. Well, we did it. <laughs> we did it. We're on top of it. Yeah, we're on top of it. Oh, that's great. What about music? What do you like to listen to? What have you been listening to lately? Do you listen to music while you work? Anything you want to recommend? I listen to music all the time, but probably the thing that I would recommend to anybody because I love it so much is still Chance the Rapper's Coloring Book. I love that album. I listen to it constantly. Um, it just, it makes me feel seen and amazing and joyful and I love listening to it. Yeah. Cool. Nice. What about podcasts? Do you listen to other podcasts? You're on a million. (laughs) Yes, of course. I listen to, um, dear, dear, um, Hank and John or dear John and Hank. I can't remember which one it is. Dear Hank and John, um, John Green and Hank Green, um, who are also known as the vlog brothers. I love, yeah, it's Dear Hank and John. I love, love, love listening to them. Um, I also like listening to um, Reply All from Gimlet, also Startup from Gimlet. Uh, I listen to Another Round from BuzzFeed, and I listen to to, um, um, For Colored Nerds 
which is another one I love and probably the one that I listen to most consistently and love all the time is the No Sleep podcast, which is scary stories. (laughs) Um, And you just get to listen to it and it's like, it just, I can't listen to it too late at night because I also just have an overactive imagination. But I do listen to it a lot on my commute and I love it. Oh, nice. Cool. So many good suggestions. Yes. Okay, what are you most curious about right now? I am most curious right now about international politics. I think that it has never been more important to be paying attention to what's happening in the political landscape in the world. And I think it's a mistake that for so long, so many of us have focused solely on American politics. And, you know, I just, I, I, when I think something like that, it's like, I can't, I can't just sit back and let it be. I can't let it be (laughs) like I have to keep reading about it. I have to keep researching it. So, you know, it's a thing now that like I'm doing a lot of reading about what's happening in the world politically. And, you know, it's not the most enjoyable thing in the world, but it is satisfying to know that like I'm not blind. Yeah, to be aware. (laughs) That's that's really good. What about um, having a relationship with social media and I guess it's two separate questions, but with social media and when it comes to the news and the climate that we're in and also self-care, how do you balance that if there's any advice you have on that? Well, you know, I've taken Facebook and Twitter off my phone completely. Um, I have no access to them when I'm on my phone. I try to block out certain times of day where I don't check them and I'm not on them at all uh, because it's very easy to get super involved into your social media and let that take the place of actually doing things. And it's also really easy to um, to um, get wrapped up in reading about things to the point that you're actually doing some some like emotional and psychological harm mm-hmm. to yourself. And I think for a little while I was doing some harm to myself, how much I was on and you know, how much bad news and terrifying things I was consuming. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just glad to not be doing that anymore. I really like that. I really like that you took that off your phone. I think I'm gonna do that too. It's, I mean, for me, it just became like a necessary thing. It was like, oh, you know, it it was getting to the point where Kel and I would go out to dinner or, you know, we would go for a walk and I couldn't not be on my phone. I didn't feel safe unless I was like plugged in and knowing what was happening down to the minute. And that's actually not a way to stay safe. It's actually a way to just like foster the illusion of safety. And I didn't want to get caught up in that. Yeah. Cool. Well, this has been amazing. First of all, thank you so much. And the name of this podcast is Let It Out. And I really just want it to be a love letter to you. And (laughs) I want to feel like you've let out everything that you really want to share with people on this particular day right now in the present. So is there anything that you wish I would have asked you or that you wanted to share today that that I didn't ask about? You know, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head. I think like the thing that I am always trying to get people to understand at the root of anything I do is just that um, 
you know, it, it, I guess now it's going to sound like a total non sequitur, but it's just totally, but it's an important thing for me to say, I think, um, that none of us can be summed up by the worst thing we've ever done or the best thing we've ever done um, because we're humans and humans have done all sorts of good and bad in a lifetime. And uh, we're going to have to at some point be okay with that and rectify that in ourselves and judge ourselves um, compassionately and gently. Because when we start doing that, then we can also start judging other people compassionately and gently. Um, And I think that part of the problem that we're having in the world and in this country right now is that we've made it so hard to see the humanity in people who have done something or believe something we don't agree with. And we're going to have to figure that out. And it starts at home. It starts in the body. It starts with a reckoning between the mirror and ourselves with who we are, what we've done, and what that means about our character. Well said, just like everything else that you shared and, and what you <laughs> right. That was so great. I'm so glad that we finally got to talk and I loved this conversation so much. Thank you so much for doing this. That was Ashley C. Ford, writer and person that I love and look up to so much. I'm so glad she finally did the podcast, and I'm so excited that I'm recording this from New York. So I'll tell you the emoji in a second, but quickly just want to shout out Kerev again. I love them so much, and I forgot to tell you at the beginning, but the way that you actually let Kerev know that I sent you is by using the discount code where you can get 50% off of your order. That's 50% off of your first order by using the code Katie at checkout. So use the code Katie when you go to takecareof.com and use the code Katie at checkout. That's K-A-T-I-E. Also, if you want to check out Gabby's Spirit Junkie Masterclass, I love it. Use the link in the show notes. And also, this is the last week to sign up for Kimonami's Vaginal Kung Fu course, which I also love and I've completed and I think is really valuable. So if you want to check that out, make sure you use the link in the show notes. And I'm going to tell you who is coming up next week on the podcast. But first, the emoji. This week, I'm going to keep it simple. I moved to New York today, actually. I just got here. And I'm sitting on my bed recording this. It's very hot, so I'm going to wrap this up quickly. But thank you to everyone who sent me really nice messages. And if you are still listening right now, tweet at me, Instagram at me, the Statue of Liberty emoji. That'd be really cool. And I will talk to you next week on the podcast because the guest is Danielle Laporte. I can't wait for you to hear it. It was one of my favorite conversations as well. And until then, I'll talk to you guys on the internet. Love you. Bye.